the uh, time of prayer at the end of this service. Okay, our message today. The Calvary Road, this is part five. Uh, subtitle is The Highway of Holiness. So if you've got your Bibles, turn to these scriptures. You don't really need them because they're up there on the PowerPoint presentation. Revelation chapter 12, verse 11, And they overcame him, that's speaking of the devil and his minions, by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they did not live their, love their lives uh, to the death. Isaiah chapter 35, verses 8 and 9, And a highway will be there, and it will be called the highway of holiness. It will be for those who walk in that way. The unclean will not journey on it. Wicked fools will not go about on it. No lion will be there, nor any ravenous beast. They will not be found there, but only the redeemed will walk there. Isaiah chapter 6, verse 3. This is Isaiah's glimpse into the throne room of God. Verse 3, And the seraphim cried to each other and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And finally, the Lord spoke to Moses out of the burning bush and said, Take your sandals off of your feet, for the place where you stand is holy ground. Father, I come before you and I pray in Jesus' name that you just anoint these lips of clay. Thank you so much for the message that you have shared with me, which I convey now again to your people. Pray for your anointing upon these words. And Lord, as we begin to examine this topic of holiness, Lord, I pray that it would inspire us to also live holy lives. For your word says that we are to be holy as you are holy. So, Lord, uh, take this message and anoint it and use it, Lord, to uh, uh, penetrate our hearts, Lord, from the preacher on down. And I pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Okay, we've been on this series now for five weeks called The Calvary Road. And it's based upon the book The Calvary Road by a man by the name of Roy Hessian who is an evangelist in uh, the uh, uh, country of the United Kingdom or England about the middle of uh, the 20th century. And uh, he seized upon this topic of being, uh, having crucified a living. And he could see that this was a key to the revival. I've shared with you too, what inspired me about this was a statement that uh, Billy Graham gave to Greg Laurie when he was still a young man. And he said, if, you know, uh, he, he was a younger Billy, he would instruct, the older Billy would instruct the younger Billy to preach on the cross more because that's where the power is. The theme verse I have adopted for this series is uh, Revelation 12:11, And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives to, death, uh, to, uh, to the death. Okay, chapter 1 in the Calvary Road was the subject of brokenness. And the idea behind that is we need to be broken. The Apostle Paul wrote in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. And Jesus himself told his disciples, he said, if any man desires to come after me, let him deny himself, pick up his cross and follow me. <clears throat> for whoever would desires to save his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it, will save it. So, the idea behind that uh, chapter on brokenness is we need to uh, live crucified lives. That means that we are to totally surrender 
our wills to Christ. And we say with Christ as he spoke to his father in the Garden of Gethsemane, he said, not my will, but thine be done. And, you know, those of you that are involved in the cattle industry, there's a number of you here, uh, you have what you call breaking in a horse. You know what I mean? You break in a horse. What do you do when you break in a horse? Well, you don't break his legs, of course, because then he'll die. But you want to break his will and make it conformed to you, his master. And that's what brokenness means, is we allow God to break our will so that it is conformed to him as our master. Amen? Amen. Chapter 2 with cups running over. The terminology from that, that chapter in the book, of course, comes from the last phrase of Psalm 23, verse 5. It says, where my cup runs over. Or the King James Version, my cup runneth over. Psalm 23 is known as the shepherd psalm. And the imagery in that psalm is what David learned from being a shepherd caring from the sheep. And he likens it to the Christian walk and uh, uh, that is underneath the good shepherd who cares for us. So what's David talking about by my cup runneth over? Well, he's talking about the believer being filled with the Holy Spirit. In those days, they would fill their cups with uh, usually one of two things, either water or wine. And both of those are symbols in the Bible of the Holy Spirit. The cup refers to the human heart, and it's to be filled. Do we just fill it up to the brim, and that's, that's all we fill it up? Is that what the psalm says? No, it says it's running over. We're be, to be filled to the overflowing by the Holy Spirit of God. And that Holy Spirit then flows outward to this disbelieving world and to the Christians all around us that need encouragement. That's, what it's, that's why you come in and uh, attend church. I always say, you know, uh, uh, did you come to get a blessing? How many came to get a blessing? Okay. How many came to be a blessing? Okay. It's not just so you receive, it's so that you give out. Your cup runs over. So we encourage one another to excel in their Christian walk. Chapter 3 is the way of fellowship. What do we mean by fellowship? Well, it would help if we understood the word translated as fellowship in the Greek. It's the Greek word koinonia which means fellowship together. We're doing koinonia right now. And we'll be doing koinonia when we have our uh, pot blessed after uh, uh, the service is finished. We sit around and we fellowship together. When I, during my first year of Bible college, they uh, encouraged us to join these koinonia groups. The koinonia groups were groups of maybe eight to uh, ten students. And we would meet in one of their homes or their apartments. And we would just fellowship together, uh, sing together, you know, pray together. Just have a, a you know, just, uh, you know, talk together, get to know one another. It's a wonderful time. But they called those koinonia groups. And we saw... That, oh, by the way, koinonia is also translated in the New Testament as communion. We saw that in the Garden of Eden, our first parents disobeyed God. And what happened? When they partook of the fr forbidden fruit, their koinonia, their communion, with their fellowship with God was broken. And what happened? Their first reaction was to hide themselves, not only their physical parts, but also hide from God. They tried to hide from God out in the forest because that koinonia was broken. I've heard it said that, that when uh, our first parents disobeyed God, 
They lost their God consciousness. And what did they gain? They gained self-consciousness. And since that time, all of our eyes have been on ourselves. That, you know, that's just a natural thing that happens from the day that we're born. And that we have to unlearn that self-consciousness and regain that God-consciousness. Regain that koinonia with God, and not only koinonia with God, but with each other, too. Koinonia with God was not the only thing that was broken at the fall, but it was also broken with our fellow man. The story of the fall is found in Genesis chapter 3, and what happens in Genesis chapter 4? Cain and Abel, the brothers, are at odds with each other. And Cain slew Abel. Koinonia with our fellow men was broken. And God's cure for this is found in 1 John chapter 1, verse 7. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have koinonia with each other. Koinonia with God and with each other. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his, sons, his son, keeps on cleansing us from every sin. It's a present tense in the Greek, which means continue, continuous action. It continues to cleanse us from every sin. Walking in the light, as we saw, means to have no unconfessed sin. You let the light of his Holy Spirit penetrate the dark recesses of your heart so that you become light. And we see that in Psalm 139 where the psalmist talks about the omniscience and omnipresence of God. God knows everything about us and God is everywhere present in this world. And then the psalmist concludes in verses 23 and 24. And he almost says, Lord, since you know everything about me, let me clean up my act so I can stand before you blameless. He said, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there is any wicked way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. The psalmist in uh, Psalm 19 also writes, he talks about the law of the Lord, how it's righteous, how it's good. And then he concludes it with saying, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. That's what walking in the light is all about, brothers and sisters. Now this week we're going to talk about the highway of holiness. That's the fourth chapter of, uh, of uh, um, Hessian's book. The theme for the scripture for the chapter is found in uh, uh, verse, verses 8 and 9 of Isaiah chapter 35. It says, And the highway will be there. It will be called the highway of holiness. It will be for those who walk in that way. The unclean will not journey in it. Wicked fools will not be about it. No lion will be there, nor any ravenous beast. They will not be found there, but only the redeemed will walk there. Now, when I saw the title of Hessian's book, I thought, oh, goody, you know, this is going to talk about holiness and holy living. And I was a little bit disappointed when I read the uh, chapter because a lot of what uh, Hessian had to say in there was just a rehash of what, what we've just covered. You know, brokenness and uh, uh, the way of fellowship and, uh, and uh, the other chapter, cup thrumming over. It was just kind of a rehash of that. Uh, for this reason, I will be talking to you about my own uh, thoughts on holiness in the second half of this message. But I will share in this part of uh, the message, uh, Hessian draws an analogy. And he uh, writes in the book there, The picture is that of a highway built up above the surrounding morass, the world. That is the morass of the world, 
Through the highway, though the highway was narrow and uphill, it is not beyond any of us to walk on it. Though there are many dangers if we get off the road, while we keep to the highway, there is safety. So that's a Hessian's analogy. And I envision what he's talking about as being similar to the ramps that the ancient Egyptians uh, uh, used when they were building the pyramids. You, you know, the story of the pyramids. Well, it's not a story, it's a fact. You know, you've got pyramids as high as, uh, I think, over 480 feet high, the biggest ones anyway. And yet the stones that are there, some of them weigh as much as two tons. So how did they get those big, heavy stones all the way up there to the top? Well, what they did is they had to build these ramps. They would take the discarded stone and uh, gravel and dirt and they would um, kind of make a little ramp that would lead up to the pyramid. And then they would take sleds and drag the stones along that. So what I think uh, Hessian's talking about is something similar to that, you know. So you've got the uh, top of the ramp, you know, they've got a level area where they could drag the stones. And of course the, uh, the stones and the, the discarded stones and gravel and dirt are piled along the sides. So I think this is kind of what Hessian is talking about here. Now, according to Hessian, the top of this hill is Calvary. He talks about it going uphill. And the top of that hill is the Mount of Calvary, which he earlier has said represents the broken life that is the life that we are to live, surrendered to God's will. And he states well, he, he, he doesn't state, but Isaiah states right there, the unclean will not journey on it, this highway of holiness. Wicked fools will no, not go about it. So the unclean, he concludes, represent the unsaved as well as Christians who choose not to walk in the light. Now the latter, the Christians that choose not to walk in the light, are never going to get anywhere in their Christian life. Theirs is a life that, that's going to uh, be that of stagnation. If you feel like you've stagnated in your Christian walk, brothers and sisters, maybe it's because you are not walking in the light. They've got a life of stagnation, arrested growth, and they're never going to please God because he wants all of us on the highway of holiness. He wants us ever walking towards that life of deeper and deeper surrender and getting closer and closer to the cross. I remember when I was in my first year of Bible college, they had a little chapel there and they had this huge wooden cross. It must have been about maybe 10 feet high. And it was kind of a little uh, prayer area, you know, where the students could come in and pray. And I remember looking at the cross and uh, wondering, you know, what does that cross really mean for you, for me, you know? And what does it really mean for you? It, well, it means that life of deep surrender. I also see the, uh, in the analogy, uh, you know, the wicked fools there of Isaiah 50, uh, 35 verse uh, 8 as referring to those that do not God, or at least they don't know the God of the Bible. You know, there's a lot of people that will tell you they believe in God. Well, which God do they believe in? The Muslims believe in God, but their God is not the God of the Bible. The Eastern religions believe in God, but again, their God is not the God of the Bible. The God of the uh, dominant religion in Utah is not the God of the Bible. Same thing with the God of the Jehovah's Witnesses. 
And believe me, you know, I've studied these different religions. You know, I've studied what they believe uh, to be God, and their God is not the God of the Bible. Walter Martin, my uh, mentor, used to always say, you can be right on every single doctrine in the Word, but if you are wrong about who God is, you are wrong enough to lose your soul forever. So it's important that we know the God of the Bible. The psalmist wrote in uh, uh, Psalm 19, or 14, verse 1, and also 53, uh, verse 1, he said, The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Well, when he wrote that, there were a lot of pagan religions around there, and they, they believed in God. They believed in many gods. But they did not believe in the God of the Bible. And the Bible says that they are fools. Now the Christian who walks on this highway of holiness can slip off the edge. It's like you can fall off the edge of that uh, uh, you know, ramp t taking the stones to the pyramids. You can fall off the edge of that you know, if you're not careful. Christian can uh, fall off the edge of the... Uh, highway to holiness if he gets too close to it. But then he, again, he can still climb back on it if he repents of it and gets back right. I recall this story of a uh, man, a very rich man, who had a mansion at the top of this, this mountain. And uh, he, need to, he needed a new chauffeur. So he uh, interviewed a couple of men and then had them drive him up to his mansion. And, uh, you know, there were a lot of hairpin turns and places where the car could go off the edge. So the first man that he had drive him decided he was going to show the man what a great expert driver he was. And so he was driving as close to the edge as he could. But the second man didn't do that. You know what the second man did? He drove right in the center of the road, all the way up to the mansion there. Guess who got the job? The man that drove in the middle. And that's why what God wants in our lives too. Too many Christians say, well, you know, can I do this and still be saved? Can I smoke and still be saved? Can I drink and still be saved or do this or do that? You know, God is not pleased with that kind of mentality. He wants you right in smack dab in the middle of the highway uh, for holiness. <clears throat> so my question to you, brothers and sisters, are you living close to the edge? Are you on that highway uh, to holiness, but you're driving a little bit close to the edge? Do you think that God is pleased with this? Now, Hessian describes the region off the highway of holiness as being the morass of the world. And men, many Christians are there in the morass of the world, and there are many dangers. Two of those dangers are found there in Isaiah 50, 35, verse 9. Isaiah writes, the lion will be there. No lion will be there. That is on the, uh, the uh, uh, highway of holiness, nor any ravenous beast. They're off in the, the morass of the world. They will not be found there, but only the redeemed will walk there. So, in the morass of the world, there are lions and ravenous beasts. Now, what are these? Well, first of all, what's the lion? Who, who do you think is the lion is? That's Satan, exactly. It says, be sober, be alert and of sober mind. I like the King James. This is new King James, but I like the uh, uh, old King James on this. Be sober, be vigilant. For your enemy, the <clears throat> devil, prowls about like a roaring lion seeking for someone to devour. Okay, so what about the ravenous beast? Well, I believe that these are represented by the false prophets and deceptions 
that are out there in the world. Jesus said in his Sermon on the Mount, right about the conclusion there, verse 15 of chapter 7, he said, Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. And finally, uh, we were just, I, I was just reading this to uh, Nina and Larry the other night. Uh, Acts chapter 20, verses uh, 29 and 30. The Apostle Paul is talking about the Ephesian believers. Well, he's talking to them, I mean. You know, he spent three years there winning many to Christ and discipling them. And now his swan song. The last time he would ever speak to them, he tells them this. For I know this, after my departure, what? Savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Also from among yourselves, men will rise up speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after themselves. We've just been reading also in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, you know, for our devotionals. And it says, uh, you know, in 2 Corinthians 11, Paul makes this vigorous defense of his apostleship because those savage wolves came into the Corinthian church and they were setting themselves as these super apostles, wanting to gain converts for themselves. And they were bad-mouthing the apostle Paul. So you read that chapter. Paul makes that vigorous Defense for his apostleship. And he talks about all of the things that he has done and uh, the things that he has suffered to raise up the church of Jesus Christ there in those Gentile areas. So the deceptions are out there, brothers and sisters. And if you're not on the highway of holiness you are liable to fall for them. And my responsibility as the pastor of this church is to present to you true doctrine. And God is going to call me into account for it. I will be called into account for the way that I have preached to you. And I, my object here is not to tickle your ears, to use the Apostle Paul's illustrations in another epistle, but to give you the truth and the whole truth. And I, I say it again, I tell you this very often, if you ever think I'm not preaching the word of God, you are free to come up and challenge me. But you better be able to preach, show me from the word where I'm, uh, I'm off base. Okay? I preach to you the word of God. And if you think I'm not preaching the word of God, challenge me anytime. Take everything with a grain of salt. Don't believe it because I say it. Believe it because the word of God says it. Amen? Amen. But if you're going to challenge me, you better come up with a book, chapter, and verse to prove me that I'm wrong. Amen. Hallelujah. Okay. Some final thoughts on this highway of holiness illustration that Hessian gives. Hessian sees the goal at the top is the hill of Calvary. And I see it as more than just that. Hebrews chapter 12 verses uh, 1 and 2. Therefore we also, so, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, the witnesses are referring to the, uh, the uh, uh, Old Testament saints in uh, chapter 11. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Paul wrote in uh, 1 Corinthians 9.24, Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives a prize? So run, or run in such a way that you may obtain. So the highway of holiness is not just a journey to Calvary on our knees. It is also a race that we are running. And what is the goal? 
What is the finish line? It's Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. The prize is Jesus himself, that is conformity to his image. Now at this juncture, I would like just to share with you two scriptures on holiness and my thoughts about them. And we'll wrap up with these two scriptures. First scripture is Isaiah chapter 6 verses 1 through 5, which is Isaiah's vision of the throne room of God. Now I shared this scripture with you just a few weeks ago, I think for Communion Sunday in the month of August. So it's kind of a little review for you. But that's all right. When we do deal with holiness, you need the review, don't you? Amen. Hallelujah. Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 through 5. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above it stood seraphim. Seraphim are a type of angel. Particularly, it seems like seraphim are designed to protect the holiness of God. Each one had six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of hosts. The whole earth, the whole earth is filled with his glory. And the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out, and the, ho till the, and the house was filled with smoke. So I, Isaiah, said, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts." Now, what does it mean to be holy, brothers and sisters? Let's get that straightened out right away. In the Greek language, it's the Greek word hagios, which means to be separate. That is, means to be sanctified or set apart. We are supposed to be a sanctified people, a holy people. That means we're to be set apart from this world. So when it says that God is holy, it means holy other or completely other. God is completely separate from his creation, which is defiled since the fall of man. He is the creator. We are the creation. You know, this is just the opposite of what Eastern religions believe. Because they believe in pan pantheism. That is, everything is God. You know, the trees out there, those are God. The earth is God. This pulpit is God. You are God. You believe you are God? If you do, you're falling for the very first deception that the devil gave Adam and Eve. He says, if you partake of the you know, tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you will be like God. You will be as God. You will be little gods yourselves, knowing good and evil. So, Eastern religions believe in the very first deception that Satan never gave to our first parents. And that's diametrically opposite the Christian God. The God of the Bible, because the God of the Bible is wholly other. He is completely separate from his creation, which is defiled. <clears throat> the creation is defiled by sin since the fall. In contrast, it says in 1 John chapter 1, verse 5, God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. So, for us to be holy, we must choose to walk in the light as he is in the light. And let him illuminate our entire being so that we can be conformed to his image. What's it mean to be conformed to his image? 
Well, the best summary of the image of God, the image of Christ, is the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians chapter 5 verses 22 and 23 give you the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, gentleness, kindness, goodness, self-control, patience. That's the fruit of the Spirit. That's what God wants in your life. Amen? Amen? Amen. Do you want those things in your life? Then walk in the light, brothers and sisters. Walk in the light of His holiness. Let Him illuminate our entire being so that we might be conformed to that image of Christ. Hallelujah. So, that's the first of three things that we learn to, uh, from uh, God uh, from uh, that Isaiah's vision there. Second thing that we learn is that when we see him in the light of his holiness, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm one slide behind here. Okay. Second thing that we learn from Isaiah's vision is that when we see him in the light of his holiness, we also immediately become acutely aware of our own sin. When Isaiah saw the Lord in his holiness, he said, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the king the Lord of hosts. What's he talking about, unclean lips? Well, I covered that a few weeks ago, but uh, uh, just to refresh your memory, it, it, he, Isaiah says that because so much of our sin is generated through our mouths. Through our mouths, wars are declared. Through our mouths, adulterous relationships are arranged. Through our mouths, gossip is propagated. The mouth acts like a window to the heart. Jesus said to the Pharisees, Brood of vipers, how can you being evil speak good things? For what? Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. People speak perverse things. Where did it happen? It originated right there in the heart. When Isaiah saw the holiness of God, he became acutely aware of his un, un, own unholiness, if you will, or his sinfulness. He saw the light of God and became aware of the darkness that was right there in his own heart. Number three, the third thing that we learn through this vision is that God alone can purge our sins. We cannot do it alone. We can't become righteous on our own. So many people think, well, I'm, you know, even if there is a God and I'm going to be called to account to him, I'll just tell him, you know, what a good person I've been. You know, I've done this, I've done that. I haven't uh, done, done these, you know, bad things in the Ten Commandments. That'll make me righteous. Brothers and sisters, that doesn't make you righteous. The prophet Isaiah, later on in chapter 64, verse 6, he says, But we are all, all of us, that is, we are all like an unclean thing. And all our righteousnesses are like filthy rags. We all fade like a leaf, as like a leaf, and our iniquities, like the wind, have taken us away. So we cannot purge our sin, brothers and sisters, by our righteous acts. It has to be the righteous acts of Jesus Christ, and we appropriate that by faith. All our righteousnesses are filthy rags. Only God can purge us. So when you stand before God, 
Don't think you can get away with saying, well, you should let me into your heaven because I've been, uh, I've been a good boy. I've been a good girl, you know. That doesn't cut it. It's got to be the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Philippians chapter 3, verse 9. He talks about appropriating the righteousness of Jesus Christ by good works. No, you appropriate the righteousness of Jesus Christ by faith. So God could only purge Isaiah's sin. Verse 6 of uh, Isaiah 6. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a live coal, which he had taken with the tongs from the altar. The altar of God. That's where Jesus, according to the book of Hebrews, entered into the most holy place with his own blood. That's what cuts it. And he touched my mouth with it, and he said, Behold, this has touched your lips, your iniquity is taken away, and your sin purged. Our sin can only be purged by God, and he has done this by the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, upon the Calvary's cross. The blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from every sin. Okay, one final scripture, and then we're done. It's the story of Moses when he saw the Lord out of the burning bush. Exodus chapter uh, 3, verses 1 through 5. And Moses led the flock, the, this is the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, to the backside of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire from the midst of a bush. So he looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire, but the bush was not consumed. And Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush does not burn. So when the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, the Lord called him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here I am. Then he said, Do not draw near this place. Take uh, your sandals off your feet, for the place where you stand is holy ground. Now at this stage of his life, remember the story about Moses? How he felt deep in his you know, soul that he was the promised deliverer for the nation of Israel from the Egyptians. And he tried to force God's hand, and he wound up killing an Egyptian, and then he had to flee for his life in exile from Egypt. And he wandered in the wilderness, tending his father-in-law's sheep for 40 years. Until this encounter with God. And at this stage of his life, an encounter with God was probably possibly the least thing that was on his mind. But Moses knew deep down in his heart that God had called him to be the deliverer for his people Israel. And when he had tried to do this himself in his own strength 40 years earlier, he had failed miserably. So he's out there for 40 years tending these sheep. But don't, don't ever think that the 40 years in the desert tending these sheep were wasted years. Remember how long David did the same thing, tending his father's flocks out there in the pastures, watching over them. They taught him how to shepherd his people. And they would teach Moses, too, how to shepherd his people after leading them out from Egypt. And he probably spent a lot of time during those 40 years thinking about and communing with God. The problem was he probably thought that the possibility that he was going to be the deliverer, he probably just thought that's an impossible thing. In fact, uh, you know, uh, after this 
you know, side of the, the burning bush, God starts actually arguing with him. He says, you're going to lead my people out. He says, I can't lead you. I can't, you know, I'm slow of speech and tongue. And comes up with all these different excuses. Until God reassures him that he will be with him. But God says at this moment, do not draw near this place. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place where you stand is holy ground. And again, Moses at this stage of his life probably had no concept of the holiness of God. He would later become fully acquainted with it when he led them back to that mountain. It's called Horeb here, but it's the same as Sinai out there in the, the middle of the desert. He would go up on the mountain and meet with God. It says that he, God spoke to him face to face. You know, it's kind of confusing there because at one point, you know, God says, you cannot see my face and live. And then he gives, tells him, you know, stand in the cleft of the rock and you'll see my reflection there as I pass by. You can't see me face to face. And it's, it's like that with us. I've, I've told you before. What would happen if Jesus suddenly appeared here right now? You know what would happen? Every single one of us would instantly be down on our knees. Because we would see him in the light of his holiness. And our sinfulness, our unholiness would be exposed. So, what does this mean though for us? What does holy ground mean? The holy ground, I believe, is the holy ground of our hearts. The prophet Hosea wrote in Hosea chapter 10 verse 12, says, break up your fallow ground, for it is time to seek the Lord till he comes and rains righteousness on you. Now, one of the things that we learn from Scripture, brothers and sisters, is every person is responsible for the condition of his or her heart. You remember the parable of the sower? Sower goes out and sows the seed. Jesus says the seed is the Word of God. Some of the seed falls on the pathway where the ground is hard and fowls of the air gobbled it up. Fowls of the air, by the way, represent Satan. Other seed falls on rocky ground, springs up very fast, but the roots encounter the stones. Those of you that are gardeners know a little bit about that. You got to get rid of those stones there, right? And the seed springs up that then dries up because the roots cannot go very deep because of the stones. Then you have some of the seed fall in among thorns, the weeds, and they get choked out and become unfruitful. And of course then you have the seed that falls on good soil. And then it springs up and brings a crop. 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold. Hosea says, break up that fallow ground, that ground that is like that, that's hard, that's stony, that's full of weeds. Make it good soil so that the seed can spring up and bear fruit. Break up that fallow ground of your hearts, brothers and sisters. Plow it up. Break up that hard ground. Remove the stones. Pull up the weeds. You got to pull them up. Otherwise the seeds are still there in the soil. And it will come up again. Remember the seeds of the weeds? Remember I talked to you about uh, what the weeds are like? The weeds are like the sin in your life. And you need to get rid of the weeds of your life. The sin in your life before it starts going to seed. And that is, it starts being passed on to other people as well. If you're an alcoholic, you need to get rid of that alcoholism because you're going to spread it off to your uh, offspring. Just one illustration. 
So get rid of that. So my question to you today, brothers and sisters, what is the condition of your heart? What is your ground, the ground of your heart? Is it fallow? Does it need to be broken up so it might receive the word of God more readily and be watered? What's water in, in a symbol of in the, the scripture? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit waters the seed, the word of God, and it begins to bear, bear fruit. My question to you today is, your heart, is it holy ground? Are you ready to tread upon the highway of holiness and be conformed to the image of Christ? That is his will for you to be on that highway of holiness and the only way to, that you will please God. So we're going to conclude with this uh, closing song. Holy ground. And think about the holy ground. The holy ground should be the ground in your heart. Amen? Amen. Let the word of God penetrate it so it may be, uh, bear fruit. Everybody worship the Lord now.
lift up your hands. Let him minister to you. sisters, it's my prayer that this church might be holy ground to everyone who comes in that door. And I preached my heart out this morning, and if there's anybody out there that does not know the Lord Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior, just raise up your hand now. Every eye closed, every head bowed. Hallelujah. Yes, I see that hand. Praise the Lord. Okay. Trent, if you wanted to come up uh, forward here. Okay. Trent, you want to come? Come come forward here and we'll pray for you. Hallelujah. Okay. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Trent, do you believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins? Yes, I do. Okay. You know that you're a sinner, just like all of us are sinners. Yes. And we can't save ourselves. So, just repeat after me now. Okay. Father, I come before you this morning. Father, I come before you this morning. I praise and thank you so much that you sent Jesus, your son. I praise and Thank you so much for your son, Jesus. Who came to this earth. Came to this earth. A sinless son of God. A sinless son of God. And he perished there on the cross. And he perished there on the cross for us. For the sins of the entire world. For the sins of the entire world. And he perished there on the cross for my sins too. And he perished on the cross for the sins of my cross too. And I thank you now for cleansing me from all my sin. I thank you now for cleansing me with all my sins. Because it's written in your word. It is written in your word. That if we walk in the light. If I walk in the light. As he is in the light. As he is in my heart and in my light. We have fellowship one with another. We have fellowship with one another. In the blood of Jesus Christ, his son. In the blood of Jesus Christ, our son. His son. His son. Cleanses me from cleanses all me unrighteousness. From all unrighteousness. And it continues to cleanse me from all unrighteousness. And continues to cleanse me from all unrighteousness. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, Father. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. And thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. For coming into my heart for now. Coming into my heart now. I invite you to come into my life. I invite you to come into my life as you have been. And, Lord, I thank you that you are going to give me victory over all my Lord, sin. And I thank you for giving me victory for all my sins. And give me strength to overcome. And give me strength to overcome all circumstances in my life. 
circumstances in my life. I pray this in Jesus' mighty name. I pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Everybody give a hand. Hallelujah. And the rest of you that know the Lord Jesus Christ, how many of you want your heart to be holy ground for the Lord Jesus? Are you willing to let him break up the fallow ground of your heart? Hallelujah. Okay, let's just pray. Father, we come before you, Lord. We just thank you for uh, Trent and uh, his willingness to come forward and to confess Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. And Lord, he, the, Jesus is the Savior because he perished on the cross for our sins. And uh, Lord, I just uh, uh, want to pray for all the rest of the dear ones that are here, Lord. And I pray, Lord, that we would truly take this message to heart. And uh, Lord, uh, uh, help us to do that very thing that we've talked about, breaking up the fallow ground of our hearts so it can be holy ground for you, Lord, and that your word may take root, Lord, and grow up and uh, help us to become fruitful members of your body, Lord, bearing the fruit of the Spirit and also, Lord, the fruit of ministry as we strive to get involved, Lord, in reaching this community.